Good morning, everyone. Thank you for coming along, and we're going to be continuing our our studies in the Book of Romans. Interesting week this week. It was the 50th anniversary of the lunar landing. I was uh, in grade five at the time. And it was a pretty big deal, I can tell you, that we were building up to it. And, and, you know, we weren't as fortunate as kids are today, you know, with all the mod kind of, of social media and you know, graphic things, visual aid things that they have and, you know, those electronic uh, whiteboards that, that there is now. And uh, so this lady donated or lent us, I should say, a little portable TV. You know, it was about this big. Black and white, all right. And you know we had we had over thirty kids in the class, so it was on a sta- it was on a table, on a chair, and there it was. And you know that's what we we saw Neil Armstrong land or take his step land on the moon and then take that that big step for mankind. Do you realise that up until nineteen 19- 59, the, the dark side of the moon had never been photographed. This is why I mentioned the lunar landing. I thought it was appropriate. The dark side of the moon had never been photographed until 1959 when the, when the Russians uh, had a little unmanned uh, spacecraft go duck around and take a few snaps. Apollo uh, 8 was the, the first humans who, who actually saw the dark side of the moon uh, with the naked eye. First time, 1968. Now, they've changed the phrase. It's not really correct scientifically to call it the dark side of the moon because it's not dark on that side of the moon. We just don't see it. It's now called the far side of the moon. But nevertheless... It's been known for so long as the dark side of the moon. And it wasn't until January, you know, it's just gone past. January 3rd of 2019 that an unmanned Chinese lunar module called, I think it's called, it's pronounced Chang'e, it's after the a goddess of theirs, uh, the first unmanned landing on the far or dark side of the moon. So just just a few months ago was the first opportunity that we had of, of discovering what's on that side because, you know, the dark side of the moon, the far side, we never see it. You know, we go round and that goes round, but it never we never see the far side of the moon. We never glimpse it, just the way God has organised things and things like that. Why am I even talking about this? Because Mark Twain said it had an interesting comment, which is very pertinent to our topic this morning in Romans. Mark Twain said, everyone is a moon. He was pretty smart, Mark Twain. Everyone is a moon and has a dark side, which he never shows to anyone. I think that's relevant to all of us in this room. The bad news is the topic, the heading 
for this morning. And we're looking at the portion in Romans chapter 3 verses 1 to 20. But, you know, a couple of weeks, three weeks ago, I spoke uh, from the book of Romans, from Romans 1 and verse 18. And, and it, it was, it was the, the, the topic and the, and the heading was the wrath of God. And here we are in chapter 3. And you know what it is? It's the, it's the wrath of God continued. It's continued. It's not really a new subject. I don't know if you know much about the Bible, but, but the, the Bible uh, that we have in the back of your seats, if you have one in front of you or you've got it open, is, is, is full of words and numbers. Now, not everything in the Bible, uh, Chris, is, is inspired by God. Now, please, don't start formulating the email to the elders just yet. All right. Not everything in the Bible is 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 divine revelation or inspired by God. The words, yes, absolutely, but the chapters. God didn't say to Moses, you know, um, chapter one, verse one. The chapters were put into the Bible in about the the thirteenth century. And it just made it easier to, 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 for the academics to, to look up things and then the, 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 the preachers and the church leaders to say, okay, let's turn to... Can you imagine how hard it would be if it wasn't divided up into chapters? And then in the 16th century, they thought, well, you know, we can improve this a bit more. The verses were added. So before that, there was chapters at the books and chapters, but no verses. Imagine how difficult it would be to find a little section in the book of Psalms if you didn't have verses. So chapter 3 is not a completely new division of Romans. It's not a new topic. Uh, It's not a new subject. The wrath of God starts from Romans 1.18. And it goes into chapter 2, and Neil spoke about that yes, last week, last Sunday. And, and it goes into chapter 3, Kylie, all the way to the end of verse 20. Now the whole section's about the wrath of God. And we looked at that, didn't we? We looked at that. Why is God angry? God is angry. We heard that. We saw it. God tells us, reveals it to us. Why is he angry? We saw that as well, dealt in this section. And we're still looking at who is, ang- who is God angry at? That's where we've gotten to. And so we've seen that, that so far that God clearly makes himself known through creation and, 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 and the beautiful things he created. Part of it was the moon and the orbit of, of, of the, our solar system, all a part of God's creation, and we rejected that. Nothing to do with God. Couldn't care less that he did all that. And then God shows us the evidence and the consequences of that rejection. 
We read that as well. We looked at that. And part of that was the, de- the depravity and the fall and, 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 and the, the decline of, of mankind. And, and that explains, doesn't it? We, we looked at that. That explains why our society is the way it is right to this day. Why there is the misery and the corruption and the unhappiness and the failures and the greed and the hunger and the violence. And we could go on all morning. And then we started to see with Neil preaching God peeling off the masks of objection. You know, our debating with God. Our rebutting God, saying, oh yes, but. And we saw the intellectuals, God saying, they're fools. They were exchanging truth for a lie, a falsehood. They were exchanging the natural for the unnatural. Then there was the self-righteous, the moralists, the religious with their, with their rituals and their traditions. God thought that was very ordinary, that they would try and substitute what he had given them with those sorts of things. And we started to see the sons of the covenant last week, the chosen ones, God's special people who had a unique relationship, who were given the word of God. And what happened? What's happened to them? They rejected God as well. They rebelled against God. And here we are, Romans chapter 3, verse 1. Let's open the Word word of God together and we're going to read, uh, read sections of it as we go along. So Romans chapter 3, verse 1 starts off, What advantage then is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? Much in every way. First of all, they have been entrusted with the very words of God. What if some did not have faith? Will their lack of faith nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every man a liar. As it is written so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. But if our righteousness brings out God's righteousness, if our, sorry, if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness, more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing this wrath on us? I am using a human argument. Certainly not. If that was so, how could God judge the world? Someone may argue. If my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still condemned as sinner? Why not say, as we are, uh, as we are being slanderously reported in, as saying, and as some claim to, that we say, let us do evil that good may result. Their condemnation is deserved. What shall we conclude? What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that the Jews and the Gentiles are alike. 
all are under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away, they have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves, their their tongues practice deceit, the poison of vipers is on their lips, their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood, ruin and misery mark their way, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. We know that Whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silent, and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. So by this point... Coming to the end of, of this, 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 uh, this uh, argument and case that Paul presents of, of, of God's wrath, we get to the point where Paul clearly demonstrates that everyone, everyone without exception is guilty of sin. It didn't matter who you were. A smart person, a deeply spiritual religious person or even a part of God's favoured and chosen nation, Israel. Made no difference. The willfully ignorant, everyone is guilty. The willfully ignorant, the self-righteous and the super-religious, all guilty. Cat, sorry to put you under pressure, when was this written? AD 57 or 56, in between there. That's okay. I just, you know, it's really interesting, isn't it, that, that this was written by Paul to the people of his day and he was looking back. And that, this was the indictment of Paul. AD 57. I mentioned this the last time, didn't I? It's 2019. Just landed on the dark side of the moon. We're pretty smart, aren't we? Very advanced. We haven't changed very much, have we? The character, the nature of mankind hasn't changed one bit. Because this is all the same today. Exactly the same things happening today. Nothing has changed. And and these are the what's coming up next are the objections. That the, the willfully ignorant, the self-righteous and the super-religious groups of people put up in argument of saying, no, we are not guilty. You know, Paul went around and preached this in synagogues and wherever he had an opportunity to preach. And as Paul taught this, he experienced all these objections Yeah, Paul, but what about this this situation, Paul? Yes, but Paul, don't you realise I'm a Jew? All the way through his teaching, he experienced all these things, all these rebuttals, all these arguments. And even, even, he even experienced violence because he, he said these things. 
And he anticipated, in writing Romans, he anticipates the people that start to read Romans, when they get the letter and they start to read it, in their mind they're going to think, yeah, but. He anticipates rebuttals. And here they are, four of them. There's four questions that come up in this section. Four questions. That's why I love Romans. You know, it's a very organised, structured piece of writing. Very deliberate what Paul is trying to do here. He, he, he shows us, here's a question that people ask. And, and I love that because when I talk to people about the Lord, when I talk to people about God, when I talk to people about salvation and sin, you know, I've been, I've been a Christian for a, a long time now. And when I first started uh, telling people about the Lord, I wasn't very good at it. But, you know, they kept asking me these questions. 20 years later, I got a little bit better at explaining the things of God to people. Same questions were, were given, were asked. 2019, the Alpha Course, next door. Same questions, exactly the same questions. This is what Paul is showing to us here. He's saying, he's saying these things. For example, he says, he says, for the, the Jews are saying, the first problem was, what about my racial advantage, you know? I'm a Jew. Jews had a very special privilege. Jews, the Jewish nation were, were, were asked by God to actually write down the things of God, the commandments, the instructions, the will of God. They actually were the ones entrusted to write it down. That's special. And to preserve them. Make sure that they don't get lost or ignored or, or, not, or not adhered to. And then they, they, were, they were commissioned by God to make this known among the nations. Through the nation of Israel, God had planned to bless the world. It's a sad indictment when you look at the history of the nation of Israel. They failed miserably. Miserably. Not only did they not take it out to the nations, not only only did they ignore the actual teaching themselves, but they ended up rejecting God and the Saviour. That's terrible when you think about it. Sounds like I'm a bit judgmental. There's a really interesting parallel that I want to share with you this morning. Because there are very uh, grave similarities between the nation of Israel and the Christian church today. You see, the the Christian church today is very unique, very special privileged position. Do you realise that every Christian, a born-again Christian who trusts Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour has the Spirit of God indwelling? Do you realise that? If you're a Christian, that's, that's your position. Very unique extremely unique, has never happened before. And not only that, we are predestined 
to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. In other words, we're to, we're to take up his characteristics, take up his attitudes. We're encouraged to have the same mind as Christ, to think like him. Never happened before. And, and, and the other one is that we, were, we have been commissioned by Jesus himself, the Lord Jesus himself, to go out and make disciples. Can you see the parallel? Yes, absolutely. it's there. The responsibility is there. We have an advantage if you're a Christian. We have an advantage, just like the Jews did. But have a look at Christendom today. Have a look at us. Have a look. The same charge that, that was given to the, uh, the religious, that their attitudes, their behaviour causes God to be mocked, happening today. So the second uh, question that comes up, that Paul says, the question of divine faithfulness, verses 3 and 4. And there he says, well, what if someone uh, uh, didn't have faith? Will their lack of faith nullify God's faithfulness? Faithfulness. Um, Paul says, not at all. It's got nothing to do with it. Just because someone doesn't believe doesn't make it true. Doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It's not going to happen. We heard about God's promises, that little animated um, story for the children. When God promises something, irrespective of what we do, he brings it about. He brings it about. God will never, ever go back on his promise. In fact, Paul says here, have this thought. God is truth. Man lies. And when I look around at my society, where I live today, politicians, leaders of offices of business and all the rest of it, it's true. What is said is true. Can unbelief cause someone to cause God to break his word. No. Everything God has ever promised will come about. Irrespective. Unbelief of the entire race, the Jews, will never prevent God from accomplishing what God had in his mind. There's a phrase that God is a covenant God. What does that mean? He's, he's a God who makes promises. That is part of his characteristic, part of his, his nature. He makes a promise and he brings it about. Assume, it says here, that God is true, man is a liar. God can be trusted, man cannot. The third question the question of confused righteousness. What does that mean? Well, what they're saying here is that, that, that God had this standard and he knew we were never going to reach it, so that's not very fair, is it? It's unjust. And Paul says, has a little thing here. He says, oh, I'm making, I'm using a human argument. And you know what I was thinking about? I was thinking about lawyers. I hope there's no lawyers here today. Mm-hmm. Lawyers. 
I don't know if you've been following the news this week. I, I was very disappointed with what's been happening in the news. You know, the people here are saying that God is unjust because it's the standard's too high and we were never going to be able to reach it. It sounds like a lawyer standing before a court saying, Your Honour, my client has mental health issues and he's addicted to drugs. He's not responsible. It's too hard. A few years ago, it was troubled childhood. The parents' fault. And, you know, one of the things that comes up quite often on 3AW is the speed, the speed fines, you know, speeding fines. Everyone complains, oh, you know, the speed fines. And, and you know what they say? The speed limit is too low. Not that we're, we're, we're driving too fast. The speed, it's the speed limit's fault, Kylie. It's too low. That's why I'm getting all those fines and demerit points. Not my fault. God is unjust because he, he sets a standard and he expects people to meet that standard. And when we fail, we say, oh, it's not my fault. We're not the problem. God's the problem. The question number four is the question of twisted logic. I love this. Now, here they're saying that, you know what? God, God is, a, is a God who forgives and, uh, you know, he's glorified by, by being gracious. And You know, let's, let's sin more. The more we sin, the more God can forgive us, the more God is glorified. You know what that's like? That's like starting bushfires so the CFA can get a pat on the back for putting them out. Don't laugh. That's what happens. That's what happens sometimes. And you see, with this twisted logic, people don't think about the seriousness of sin. Every time sin is committed, there's a serious consequence to themselves, to others. Serious consequences. And so after Paul has gone through all this and this this thing, he does this in verse 9. Have a listen to this. Follow it in your Bible. What shall we conclude? After all the things from chapter 1, verse 18, right down to this verse here, verse 8, in verse 9 it says, so, so what can we conclude then? Are we any better? This morning, are you and I any better than the people we've been reading about in the last three weeks here at Monty? Are we any better? If Paul was here this morning, it's the Apostle Paul, because I know Paul Wright is here, but if the Apostle Paul was here, you know what he would say? The bit that comes after that, not at all. Not at all. It clearly states there, we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. You know, when God looks down... You know, he, he only ever saw mankind into two groups, the Jew and the Gentile. It's the same today, saved and unsaved. But Paul says here that we are all under sin, all under sin. 
no exception. You know, everyone is the same as far as God is concerned. Everyone is equal. There's equality for you, folks, you know. We're screaming out, equality for all. There it is. God's given it to us. You know, God has been over the, over the equality debate for thousands of years. You go through the scriptures and there is no male, there is no female, there is no Jew, there is no Greek. All the same. Because God doesn't look at my coloured skin or he doesn't look at my geographical location, where I've come from, where I was born. The Bible tells me that God looks on the heart, Colleen, inside. And do you know, Do you? this is a bit gory, but do you know when somebody passes away, and they do an autopsy and they open people up. We've all got a heart. We've all got liver and kidneys and lungs. We've all got blood. We've all got the same skeleton. No one's got an extra finger because that would be abnormal. No one's only got eight toes. We're all the same. That's how God sees us. All under sin. And if we and if and if there's anyone were to be unclear about what is Paul is trying to say, trying to show to us from God's uh, perspective, if we need any more proof of what God's opinion might be about this situation, have a listen to this. He says in verse ten. There is no one righteous. No one righteous. Not even one cat. Not even one. Now that's a bit harsh. That's a real harsh statement. It seems harsh, doesn't it? Thank you, Stuart, for showing that little clip because that's brilliant because that's the chapter before I'm going to uh, explain something to you. If you get a chance this afternoon... Have a read of Genesis 18. Because I was trying to think of how can I explain this in, uh, in a way, you know, what example can I give to, to the congregation that will be listening to this message? What, what can I give you? And I couldn't think of anything better than, than something that happened in the Bible to illustrate this, this fact. In Genesis 18, Abraham has three visitors come to him. One of them, they believe, is, the, is, is, a, is, a, is an, appear, an Old Testament appearance of Christ. And, 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 and he tells Abraham that I've been listening to the wickedness of, of Sodom and Gomorrah. And I'm going to go down and destroy that city. It's so wicked that God just couldn't leave it be. And he tells Abraham this. Abraham has got a bit of an interest in, uh, in one of those cities. His, his nephew Lot is there. And he doesn't question, Abraham doesn't question God's right to, to, to judge the city because he knows what, how it is. He knows what it's like. It is a wicked place. He never questions that. But he says, you know, God, he says to this, isn't it right, Lord, that, that you, you, you condemn the, the wicked with the righteous? 
and, 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 and he says, and he said, wouldn't you, couldn't you just spare the city if there were 50 righteous people in that city? And we're talking, there were big cities, right? 50 righteous people. And the Lord said, okay, if there's 50, I'll spare the, the whole, the whole two cities, I'll spare them both. 50 righteous people. Abraham thinking, mm, what about 45? 45 people. God says, okay, 45. Well, I'll, I'll do 45. What about, what about 30? And you, and, and, and you read the story. I haven't got time to go right through it. Read the story. And it gets down. Abraham says, what about 10? What if there are 10 people in these two cities, 10 righteous people in God's sight, would spare everyone else. I love that because it shows you the graciousness of God, doesn't it? How merciful God is. You know, yep, yeah, if there's ten. And he kept, he kept allowing Abraham to, to, to bargain with him, you know, yeah, yeah, ten. That's the deal that was struck. God promised if there was ten people, ten righteous people in the two cities, he would spare Sodom and Gomorrah. You and I know that that didn't happen. How come? Well, I reckon that Abraham stopped that tent because he was thinking, Lot, Mrs. Lot, the two daughters that we know about, plus the other daughters that are married and have husbands and maybe grandchildren. You know, that's, that's a lot more than ten, isn't it, Chris? So Abraham thought, we're, we're right now. I've got ten people minimum. No worries. So... Two of those visitors go down to the to the city. Like they speak to Lot, they tell Lot what's going to happen, and he said, and they said, get all your family together. Anyone that belongs to you in the city, you read it this afternoon. An angel of the Lord said to Lot. So Lot, Lot, Lot took this seriously. He got all his family together. And when he told them, especially the ones that were married and living away from home, you know, because once that happens, you know, dad doesn't know anything. Yeah? yeah? And they laughed at him. They laughed at Lot. In other words, they rejected. They rejected the offer of deliverance, of salvation, of being spared the judgment of God. And we read the sad story in, verse, in, in, uh, in verses 20, uh, 32 to 33. The people that left the city and were saved was Lot. Mrs. Lot, the two daughters. No, no, that's not right, is it, Raph? Because Mrs. Lot left the city, but her heart was back there. And she wanted to be back there. And we know what happened to her. Three, three people out of those whole city that God is just in saying you know what when I really look into your heart no righteous no one's righteous not even one mankind is not innocent and so then we, and I'm running out of time so I've got to be quick so then we get from verses 11 to 18 we have the oracles of God in other words an oracle is a, is a saying the words of God from the Old Testament and, 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 and Paul goes through them and, and lays them not as a charge against the people, right? He's not accusing the people of this. 
It's evidence. Paul is presenting these things as evidence. It's proof. Big difference between an accusation and proof. So when, when they conclude, he says very quickly, I'll go through these. Um, there's one more. Not even one. Here we go. Very quickly, he's, in verse 11 he says, There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. And that's, that's found in Psalm 14. What that is, what is said there is that no one is seeking out God of, 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 of their own initiative. You know, you look at the creation. You look at the words that God's given us, the warnings. And you know, this church should be packed. Should be packed. And so should all the other churches. The seats should be full coming to worship. Not a rock star or a sports star or a movie star. Now, if we had a movie star here or a rock we would be full. No. But if the creator of the world were here, what would happen? If Jesus Christ was here, the Son of God, what would happen? It should be full, but it's not, is it? Not just here. Not just here. Left to our own to ourselves, we would not seek after God. And here's the proof. Here's the proof. Do you know in the census, the last census in Australia, church attendance on the decline. On the decline. Chapter verse twelve. It says there they turned away. They've turned away from the things of God. We we can see that everywhere in every aspect of our society. It's we're corrupt. I was just talking to my, my dear wife yesterday about what's been happening in the news. Even our justice system is broken. There is no justice. Everything is broken. We're selfish. We're unloving towards others. We don't really care as long as we're okay. Verses 13 and 14 talks about throats as an open grave. Mouths full of cursing and bitterness, you know. It's talking about deceitful, de- deceitfulness and, and deceitful talk and, and speech, you know, that, that, that destructive advice from politicians, from leaders, from even from scientists, teachers. It's everywhere. And the poisonous lips, that's the kiss of death. That's not uh, anything to do with tipping, uh, footy tipping, of course. That's the kiss of death is when you think it's nice, you think it's sweet, but what it is actually doing is bringing about death. That's what poison does. And the, and the mouths full of cursing and bitterness, that's bullying and verbal abuse. You know, it really hurts, doesn't it, what people say? You know that saying, sticks and stones? That's a lot of rubbish. You break your arm, it heals, you're good to go. I have had my arm broken at high school. It doesn't bother me. But I've had people say things to me in high school. It still hurts when I think about it. Verses 15 and 16, it says, Feet swift to shed blood and destruction and misery. That's in Isaiah 59. Man's nature and his history has proven this, you know. It's only the fear of being caught or being annihilated by another, another, another nation, um, another nation and, and, and 
that's keeping us law-abiding or, or holding back just the, that evil, that evil, isn't it? it? It's, it's, you know, because they've got a bigger army than me, I'll just, I won't do anything, you know? That's the history of mankind. It says there in verse 17, the way of peace they do not know. We've never known, brothers and sisters, how to make peace. Not amongst nations, not even enough in our own families, the people we love, our blood and kin. You know, I was thinking about this, I was thinking, what example can I give? I'm a World War II buff. I was thinking of this little phrase, some of you older people may remember this from school. Peace for our time. Neville Chamberlain, the Prime Minister of England, of Great Britain, in 1938, just before World War II, went and saw this bloke called Adolf Hitler. Ever heard of him? Adolf Hitler in Germany. And, you know, they got together and they talked and they shook hands. They probably, you know, a few drinks together. And they came back, you know, Neville Chamberlain, he, you know, he lands at an airfield and he, he doesn't even go to a press conference at the foot of the, at the foot of the, um, the, the, whatever the stairs are called, what are they called? Yeah, gangplank or gangway. The, 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 the press, he says, look, I've got the bit of paper. Peace for us. No war. That's how important it was. And peace is important, don't get me wrong. That was the 30th of the 9th, 1938. On the 1st of the 9th, 1939, Hitler invades Poland, World War II starts. Didn't even last 12 months. That's our history. That's what we're like. Verse 18 says, There is no fear or respect of God. We don't need to say much about that because my time's nearly gone. So, we get to verses 19 and 20. The bad news, brothers and sisters, is that Israel was used as a test case and the results of those tests have been applied by God to all of humanity. That's why he says, oh, known righteous. Israel failed, mankind has failed. Now you may think that's a little bit unfair. How could that be right that he did that? Now, for us locals, just up the road is a reservoir called Yan Yin. Yan Yin Reservoir, interesting place. You know, it's, it's, it was the oldest water supply for Melbourne, built in 1857, and when it was built, it was the world's largest, the world's largest artificial reservoir holding 30,000 megalitres. It's a funny shaped reservoir. It looks a little bit like island with a bit stuck out the side. And if you know what it looks like, the, there's, there's a pointy bit out at the Arthur's Creek Road end and then there's a bit that sticks out. That's the, the Ridge Road end. And then there's the bit at the top at the Whittlesea Road end. Or the Whittlesea end. Now currently it's at 72% full, which is 21,600 megalitres, and from time to time they test the water to see if it's okay to drink. Now even if you went to these three locations, 
at, at the Arthur's Creek end, at the, he took, took your little jars of water sample. Then you go across to Ridge Road, take another little bit of water, another little bit, and then you go up to the top end at the Whittlesea end, and you take, you've got these three jars of sample water, and you test them, and you discover there's E. coli or whatever. Now, the question is, is the E. coli just in those three little jars? Or is the whole reservoir polluted? The whole reservoir. That's what God did. That's what God did. Tested and found that every man's the same. Every man, woman, and child is the same. And we have it. We have. We have the verdict come in. There's disease in mankind, in the human race. We are riddled with sin. It's a disease. A very quick poll here. When, when somebody comes to you and says, I've got good news and bad news, put your hand up if you like to hear the bad news first. Okay, well, I would have thought there would be a lot more. All right, hands up if you like to hear the good news first. Okay. It's nearly 50-50. But anyway, I, I reckon that most people like the bad news first. You go to the doctor. You're not feeling well. You go to the doctor and you know, they look at you and say, OK, you need to, you need to do blood tests, have a scan, some sort of oscopy, you know, stick something somewhere, have a look. Yeah. So you're sitting at home. After all that, you're sitting at home and you're thinking, you're wondering, I'm so, oh, what have I got? Is it really bad? You know? And then my, my doctor's surgery, they, they send you a, a message. You need to ring us and make an appointment. That really freaks me out because you think the worst. Don't you? you think there's something really serious. And you're really anxious until you get there and the doctor says, um, the bad news is, Rav, that you have, yeah, there's a few things wrong. There may be a growth or there may be a shadow somewhere. Or, for me, it's the cholesterol, it's a little bit high, blood pressure's up, whatever. And, and it is bad news, isn't it? Bad news. But I don't want to leave it there today. My topic is the bad news. It's always good. It doesn't always happen. I know this. The reality is it doesn't always happen. But usually the doctor says, but the good news, Mr. Kirchy, we can cut it out. You can take tablets. You can exercise. They always say that, don't they, Chris? There's always always some good news, a way to remedy it. Next week, brothers and sisters, next week, you're going to hear the good news. You know, I, 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 the last two times I've spoken to you, I've had to leave you on a, on a downer. And I don't want to do this this week. I really don't. I want to tell you, it is bad. It is bad. But next week, you'll hear the good news. There's a cure. There's a cure for the disease of sin. And it's available 
Not on, on the, is it PDS or whatever the other, it's available for free. It's not even two, or is it $3.20 or something? I don't know what, I don't, I don't get the pension thing. Because that, that's cheap, right? But free is even better. It's free. It's costly, but it's freely available. You need to come next week and hear Clive talk about the good news. And if you're listening on, on podcast, listen to next week. You need to hear the good news. I haven't got time to tell you about it. But if you're really anxious and you know that you're, you're, you're diseased with sin and you can't wait till next week, come and speak to me later. I'm willing to talk to you about it. I'm willing to tell you what the good news is. I just can't do it from the platform this week. Thank you.